0: Welcome to Full Rigor, of Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis, recovering from a really nasty sore throat, so I sound terrible, but (laughs) anyway, this week I wanted to change gears and I wanted to talk about mass shootings versus a serial killer and especially in Florida we've had a lot of both and you know what in the U.S. mass shootings did not stop or decrease because of COVID-19. The shootings never stopped and they just weren't as public. In fact the gun violence archive which defines a mass shooting as one with four or more people injured or killed not including the perpetrator. There were 600 mass shootings in 2020 417 in 2019 and in 2021 up until May 26 we've had 230 And that includes last Wednesday's shooting in San Jose, California. So that's a lot. And I wanted to consult an expert because it seems like we have less serial killers in America and Florida and more mass shootings. So let me introduce you to the preeminent, Dr. Brianna Fox. Thank you for joining us. And I just wanted to give a little background on you. You uh, work for the Mental Health Institute at the University of South Florida. You went to Cambridge, got your PhD there. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, thank you very, very much, Karen, for having me. Um, I study violent crime and the predictors of it and how we can prevent these violent crimes from happening or respond to them better so we can hopefully catch the offenders and, and try to have a successful resolution. Um, so I, I've been studying this for years. I worked in law enforcement. I, I worked uh, in the behavioral science unit at the FBI, and I was an FBI special agent. Oof.
0: Brianna, have you ever interviewed a serial killer or a mass shooter? Usually they end up dead, the mass murderers. The the serial killers like to live so they can relive their conquests.
1: Yes, they're two very different types and mentality, behaviors, onset, everything. And uh, I have interviewed serial killers, but no mass shooter yet. So
0: who have you interviewed on the serial killer list that we would know of?
1: Uh... A few, however, because I've oh. actually been consulting. Yeah, I doctor patient. No yes,
0: problem. Exactly. I have one question about serial killers. Does it is it true that they have those black doll eyes like a shark?
1: So funny you say that. I was actually just on the phone with somebody yesterday who knew a serial killer very well, and she was talking about the story. And she said, you know, the whole time she knew him. He was a nice normal guy, um, didn't see any warning signs. She said however when she found out about the murders, he was in jail and she confronted him. She said his eyes got dark <gasps> and they looked like shark eyes. Oh, and I heard that? that I've heard this repeatedly and I've actually seen it myself. It happened once when someone I was talking to who was a serial killer got angry.
0: What what is that? How do you is it the soul? That's
1: a great question. I don't know if there's been any research on this and it's so hard to isolate. However, I personally think that it has to do with any level of faking compassion or or any type of life that's that's outward and it just turns dark and oh. that's that yeah the deep ugliness that obviously compelled them to do these things. It just
0: shines through. Man, that is so scary. Your bones must have been chilled when you saw that. Uh,
1: Yes. And now when I hear people talk about it, it gives me, you know, my my hair stand up every time they say it because I've seen it before. So I know what they're saying, you know. It's like when living in South Florida, you have lots of people who have experienced hurricanes. They all describe the wind in the same way. You know, but once Mm -hmm. you've experienced it, you're like, oh, I know what they're talking about.
0: Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, Dr. Fox, I I love that you were a special agent with the FBI. You also, so you have, you went to Cambridge, right, in England? Yes. Oh, that's major. I'm so excited. So there's so many questions for you. um, And the premise for the interview was that, are the serial killers getting younger and are there less of them because of DNA and more mass shootings? In fact, just last week we had this case in Jacksonville. This kid, he stabbed a cheerleader in Jacksonville 114 times. And according to the state attorney in the autopsy, 49 of the knife wounds were defensive and the tip of the knife broke off in the poor girl's body. Here's the sound. The
1: defendant made statements
0: that he was going to kill someone by taking them in the woods and stabbing them with the facts of this case. So the prosecutors charge this 14-year-old as an adult, and we have in Florida the most teenagers actually serving time in adult prisons for murder. It's, it seems like they're really young and they commit horrific crimes. So are you seeing that it's becoming younger in terms of people that kill both mass killings and also serial killings? Well, the age at which we're seeing
1: these types of phenomena, at least more violent offenses, has ticked a little bit downwards, but but not necessarily so. Um, we always had these cases where young people were committing sometimes really gruesome and horrific crimes. However, uh, there was more mentality at that time that we were going to try to rehabilitate. What we're seeing now is these kids as young as 14 I've even seen as young as 11 Mm. getting charged as adults and so that really begs the question is their brain the same as an adult and what caused somebody at such a young age to do something so horrific some people say well clearly it's a bad egg They can't be fixed if they did it that young. And then others say, well, that's a period where there's a lot of weight on childhood trauma and the brain's functioning and and cognitive development. So if any of those are potentially off, it could have a massive impact. And so there's a lot of research actually looking into this, but um, there's no one clear cut answer yet.
0: But it does seem like we have less serial killers. I think there's only a few of them that are active. The Long Island serial killer, Jeff Davies eight killers, uh, the West Mesa bone collector in Albuquerque. There's all kinds, they're all over the world actually. And then the, the smiley face killers, that's another one. But It doesn't seem like we have, oh, and the maniac with dull eyes. There you go with the dead eyes. This guy's from Brazil. Oh, no, he's a Russian. There was another one from Brazil, Pedro Lopez, the monster of the Andes. So I want to know, Dr. Fox, what you attribute this to, the smaller number of serial killers. They don't have enough time to rack up the killings because of DNA and CODIS and our law enforcement agencies talking to each other? That's a huge part of it. Because remember, to define something as a a serial killing, we need at the
1: very minimum two but usually three cases where the offender got away with it. And back in the seventies and eighties, the heyday of serial killers, if you will, um, that was before DNA. So the odds of getting away with murder, not just once or twice, but three or more times that the sheer likelihood of that was a lot higher compared to now, as you said, we've got surveillance cameras all over the place. We have DNA. We've got better policing techniques. We've got people that are maybe more willing to help out or talk with police, remember things, videotape things. So there's a lot of strategies that we didn't have back then uh, that maybe are why we solve cases faster. But at the same time, um, I do think that that's not the sole explanation. I think that there is a part of it where, um, I hate to say it, but there's almost an instant gratification mentality that has, whether it's social media or TV or what the type of things we do for fun. And if somebody has an urge to kill a lot of people, um, serial killers obviously take their time. It's spaced out. It's not instant gratification. Um, Versus for a mass shooter, when they commit that crime, it is instant and it happens all at once.
0: So you do think the serial killer is being supplanted by the mass shooter?
1: Well, I think that there is a big part of that. There's some part of it where serial killing is just more difficult. Someone who may have been a serial killer gets caught at time one. So they're unable to become a serial killer. But there's other people that may have had the patience, let's say, long ago to become a serial killer. And now with the access to guns, with the desire to just, you know, have it all done at once, instead of killing one person and waiting and one person and waiting, they may kill all at once.
0: But there is, you say, some premise to my hypothesis that there seems to be less serial killers and more mass shootings.
1: Yes. Yes. And that has two different things. One is that we are seeing this massive increase in gun access and availability during the pandemic alone. We had some of the highest rates of gun purchasing and It's just sheer supply and demand that if you have that many more guns out there, the odds that you will have gun crime also go up. And that is, of course, what we're seeing right now.
0: Right. Wow. The other thing about serial killers is that, Police departments from Onekama, Michigan are talking with Miami because they've got connectivity, they've got computers, and also you've got CODIS. And of course, CODIS is the DNA database that has all of the DNA from convicted felons. But now Correct. you've got everything is centralized on computer and you can find your killer more rapidly that way.
1: Yeah, I always have to explain to my students, um, you know, they always think that DNA was always available. No. I you I can remember the days when we didn't have DNA in criminal cases. So for sure, this is something that we now expect every day. We expect it in all of the cases we see, but um, it was a massive shift. Um, and I always tell this, too, to the students that say they want to be criminal profilers. Remember, when criminal profilers were at their heyday, it was because they were called in when there was no other forensic evidence available. There was no leads. Well, now that happens less often because we have so many other leads. We have forensic evidence. And Uh frankly, in a criminal court, which is more compelling for a jury, a criminal profiler's assumption or DNA. So that's always what a prosecutor wants to see.
0: So I've gosh so many questions for you. So interesting. But the, yeah, the profiler... I watched Mindhunter and how those FBI agents came up with the whole idea of the serial killer and how the, you know, how they work and they would go back and revisit their scenes and everything. I found that so intriguing, but now, like you're right, everything's so immediate and split second and you can find these people before they get a chance to get rolling. I mean, the Green River Killer, my God, it went on forever until finally DNA. We had the first DNA trial where DNA was used for a rapist here in Tampa in 87. So that's when it really started being utilized. So really. didn't start until the 90s, early 90s. Yes, exactly. And I I still remember the OJ Simpson trial
1: when they had to hire an attorney specifically to interpret DNA analysis for the jurors because it was so brand new and that was the mid 90s. So I think that that had a huge impact on stopping serial killers before they became serial killers. Unfortunately though, this is a person that may have a compulsion to kill and they may do it once and then get caught before they would have done more. But um, I would personally like to continue the research that we were doing and see what is it that even makes a person want to be a serial killer and and how can we prevent that and intervene? Because even if they're not a serial killer, they kill at all. That's still terrible.
0: You know, like the kid I told you about at the, the beginning of the podcast, this Florida teenager, he told people he was going to take someone into the woods and stab them. It seems like it's a sickness, like it's a thing in their brain that they can't, it goes over and over like a loop. And, the, and once they start doing it, it, it just feeds on itself.
1: Yeah, like most of my answers, it's complicated because there's not just one type of serial killer. So when we think about them, we think of them as being, you know, all in the same group, but there's actually a lot of different subtypes. So we start thinking about some of the subtypes that are more psychopathic and they are truly driven just because they feel a rush that they don't get. From any other means, um, so these are the type of people that have very low empathy. They're very right. callous, unemotional, low affect. Um, when I think of a, a psychopath, I really think of somebody who, you know, just uses people and for their own gain, and then discards them. And whether that's through killing them, or dumping them, firing them, you know, ghosting them, those are the types of things we see out in society. So that's one type. Um, We certainly have another type where there's a a drive for serial killing, but it's almost out of anger, um, and and this this need to feel like power and control. They want to regain some status. They hate their mom. (laughs) Yes, and we have that type too, right? That they're driven by mom made me mad, my girlfriend (sighs) made me mad. You You remind me of my mother.
0: and do they get, yeah. a, they get a sexual gratification out of killing I think the first group you, that you talked about does.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're, the vast majority of these killers uh, do get gratification out of it. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep doing it. But what part gratifies them is sometimes different. So some actually are sadistic, and they enjoy the actual torture yeah. and the pain and the screaming. That part is the part they actually enjoy My the God. most, which is horrifying. Then there's the type that really just enjoy feeling like I had control over this person. It was life or death, and I could take it It's the ultimate power,
0: and that's the part they like the most. And there's some that, you know, they strangle their victim, and then they bring them back to life and strangle them again. It's like over and over. And that's more of the thrill seeker. Right. And they want to keep it going and, and, and make it last as
1: long as possible, because it's almost like. Playing with a toy, they see it as fun and and stimulating. So that's a very different type. So one of the things that I study are subtypes of offenders. And I think that particularly with our understanding of these cases from a policing standpoint, um, it's really important to know these different subtypes exist. Because when we start going to crime scenes and we see this is the way it went down, we have a more accurate portrayal of who probably did that.
0: Right. How many actual subtypes are there of serial colors?
1: So people argue over this. Uh, There's some debate in the literature. I did a paper a few years ago now with my colleague, my mentor from Cambridge University, David Farrington, and we actually looked at every paper, book, magazine article written by somebody who had created a profile or was a self-proclaimed profiler, and we looked at all the different profiles they developed for serial killers. And we found that on average, across all the different profiles, there were three that they proposed. Um, But but that ranges, there was the traditional organized, disorganized, but there were other types. There was the sadistic type, there are the thrill-seeking type. So we have some disagreement in the field over how many types and what their names and characteristics are, but we're also finding that sometimes it's the way that we're studying them, the type of information we're using. So uh, what the field has moved so far forward too since the original profiling days, and we're really advancing it towards a more
0: scientific approach and methodology. So interesting. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Brianna Fox. She is an associate professor in the Department of Criminology and faculty affiliate of Florida Mental Health Institute and the University of South Florida. And we are delighted to have her. She got her PhD from the University of Cambridge. And boy, you've had uh, so many awards and lovely things. You got the 2017 Early Career Award from the American Society of Criminology's Division of Developmental and Life Course Criminology. You also received uh, from uh, the University of Cambridge, what was that, the Nigel Walker Prize? Yes, that was very uh,
1: meaningful to me. My um, dissertation was awarded that prize for being the best um, that year. So I was wow. thrilled because my My dissertation was specifically aimed at creating new statistical profiles that could be used for police in actual investigations. And when we did an experiment with an actual real-life police department, we trained them to use these profiles in their investigations and compared their clearance rates to neighboring police departments and the police department that used these statistical profiles
0: solved over 300% more crime. Wow. You sound like <laughs> such a sweet lady um, and, and, and to be like an FBI special agent and you're interviewing serial killers and everything is just amazing and I really appreciate being able to pick your brain on some of this. I just uh, wanted to ask you also, Well, we've definitely had a spate of spree killers here in South Florida. We had Esteban Santiago who shot up the baggage claim at Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. Then we had a kid who shot up a school in Parkland, MSD High School, killing 17 students and teachers. And then we had Omar Mateen who killed 49 people. Um, But these guys except for Nicholas Cruz, they always seem to end up dead themselves. What's the difference between the serial killer and the mass shooter in terms of the serial killer likes to stick around and, and, you know, admire his work, whereas the mass shooter doesn't mind killing himself?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. It seems to me that there's a big difference, too, in the perception of getting away with it. Um, Serial killers, most of the ones I've talked to anyway, had this, Perception, which I think is not accurate, but uh, they thought they were going to just do it for thirty years and, and never get caught by police. Oh, because they're some smarter than know. you, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, the the narcissism and confidence, and then some of them just don't care. They think, you know, oh well, if I do get caught, I don't care. But you know, they they still don't really actively think about it. I think mass shootings are different because they know this is not something that can be concealed. They're not going to be able to leave the scene before police arrive. Police are going to get called very quickly and when that happens, they know that they're there with a gun and so they seem to be a little more aware um, or if they don't think, if they're not thinking through this, then it's something that typically happens because an officer who arrives at a scene and that person has clearly shown that they're
0: willing to kill people for an officer, that's just too high of a risk, and right. so force is usually used. Right. I mean, Like Omar Mateen, he was 29. He killed 49 people at the Pulse nightclub and took him several hours after standoff to finally shoot him, but that was more like a war zone. He was doing it in the name of ISIS, whereas like a Nicholas Cruz and and he walked right off the campus. It was unbelievable. It, it seems like there are different types of mass shooters as well. And then the Stephen Paddock who shot up Las Vegas, and you know, yeah. my gosh, we still don't know why he did that.
1: Yeah, the the motivation piece for mass shootings is so hard because I know that's what we always want. Why did they do this? But right. it and the only thing I can say is we're trying to apply our level of. Logic and understanding of the world to something that is just so illogical and unimaginable. So, if we're looking for a clear-cut reason that will make sense, right? That's just never going to happen. So, I I've made peace with that because I always wanted to know why, and that was something that actually drove me a lot in this really? field. And when I started realizing the answers are so just bad, and even when you find. Sometimes it makes you feel worse. Mm. You know, I wish I didn't know because hearing your reason is so terrible. Um, I talked to a serial killer once who murdered somebody over $4. Oh. And you're thinking, how? Huh, I
0: almost wish I didn't know because that's so terrible. It just, it, I can't even fathom that. Well, you know, you've always got the disgruntled former, you know, previous employee, or it could be some sort of a domestic, take out the whole family thing. Then you've got like the Omar Mateen doing it for Allah. And then you've got some crazed kid there in Parkland. I mean, I think you're right. I, I think there's just way too many guns and they're available and they're available to everybody.
1: Yeah. And that's a huge part of it. So there's a few things. One is uh, even if I was mad at my employer or mad at a family member, um, it would never, ever cross my mind, of course, to commit a mass shooting yeah. or, or any type of violence, right? So the fact that that's uh, on, the, an, on the menu, it, it really speaks to the fact that they have that internal motivation or, or willingness to engage in such an act. But that's not enough. And I know a lot of people will say, well, if they're really motivated, they will find a way. And that could be true, but it just makes it so much easier for somebody to act on these impulses when the means are so much more accessible. And it's like this in in any other type of scenario. When we see more cars on the road, we see more accidents.
0: When we see more guns out there and available, we see more gun crime. Yeah. And just one more question here about serial killers. We've had 10 serial killers who did their killing in Florida and elsewhere, but they ended up here um, like a Ted Bundy. You know, by the time he got into Florida in 1978, he had left a trail of victims in Washington, Utah, Colorado, Oregon, California, Idaho. He's he escaped from prison twice. So when he came here, did the fact that Florida had a death penalty deter him? Oh, it did
1: not. Um, And I actually, I talked to somebody about this specifically, whether the death penalty played a role in the decision to, to kill people, particularly in Florida. And it's just seen as such a far out long shot possibility. You know, first, I have to get caught, which of course, they don't think is going to happen. Then I have to, you know, get actually charged with this. And then you know I have to receive the death penalty which could be 20 years from now and that's if my appeals don't work out and so it is it is like trying to think about what making decisions that happen right now based upon what could happen in retirement I mean that's the closest I can give you in terms of logic Uh, they just do not consider it um and I've actually had a few that said um they preferred states with the death penalty because they said if i got caught i didn't want to die in prison Mm -hmm. or at least live their life out um they actually and i think that is striking a same tone as what we hear with mass shooters where they don't want to go to prison they almost think they're too good for it and so they would rather just die by either execution or by suicide by cop rather than ever spend their lives in prison
0: Right. And then you have Timothy McVeigh, who bombed the Oklahoma City Federal Building, and he got the death penalty. He said, look, I don't want to go through exhaustive appeals and everything. I want you to stick the needle in immediately. So I I guess they can do that.
1: Yep. Yes. And so I have seen that before. And I mean, obviously, you have to wonder what's going on with these people. First of all, what made them become a serial killer or mass shooter? But why then this urge to not want to live in prison um and i do think it has supposed to deal with them being alone with some of their thoughts Uh, and the 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 lack of freedom and control sometimes it's ego but at the end of the day that group of people i mean they've clearly made bad decisions they clearly are not the the type that we're going to be basing you know logical policy off of but at the same time i can say We expect things to deter us because we are logical. And to apply that to this other group, it just does
0: not convey. And they're generally both types are not remorseful ever, correct?
1: Very rarely. uh, If I ever see it, it's typically I'm sad I got caught. I'm sad that uh, it ended up this way. Um, But there's often a, a level of trying to blame the victim well. You know, she should have known not to come home with me that day. You know, if she didn't go back with me to the, the motel, then she would have been fine. It was her fault. You know, she was that way. And so there's some rationalization, minimization of the crime, uh, trying to project their culpability onto the victim. So I see a lot of those
0: things, but never any pure guilt and remorse. Some of them, though, like Dahmer, was relieved to be caught because it just became. I mean, it's hard to get rid of a body. It's hard to dismember somebody, and they were. Just, he was just sick of his what he was doing. Seemingly, yeah.
1: And I, I've read about this before, where serial killers say, "I couldn't stop myself, and so yeah. I needed law enforcement or somebody to catch me." And I do think that's a, a powerful reason if they are caught. And they don't want to, let's say, um, live life in prison. They just want it to be over. Um, And so I think that is one of the reasons why they may be more willing to surrender or more willing to be
0: executed without appealing it. Okay. And I'm really curious what's coming up in the future. Are you researching something?
1: Oh, yes. Well, uh, we have a few different projects. One is creating our own uh, new statistical profiles of serial killers. Uh, And a second project is actually looking at how serial killers that happen across different states and times and places actually have a a little bit of a, a moral panic where people will go out and Buy guns or take precautionary measures that could actually have ripple effects and cause more crime in that area. So, those are a few different things we're
0: looking at right now. You're saying a serial killer or a mass shooter can cause the public to become agitated?
1: Yes. Uh, so, for instance, uh, there was a new paper that just came out this week by Patrick Sharkey and um, a PNAS, PNAS, a journal that's very prestigious, and they looked at mass shootings, and they saw that there was a massive emotional impact. It was localized, so just around the area the mass shooting took place. But there was this first a, a depressive effect; people got very depressed. But then there was a little bit of a mobilization effect. You know, people wanted to make sure that type of thing didn't happen to them, and for some people, that means. Going out buying guns, buying bullets, um, trying to do things to protect themselves because they're so afraid this could happen to them. Um, and we see this with mass shootings. And so, where I'm assuming we'll find the same thing with serial killers. Um, but what happens to those guns? Are they left unlocked in a car? And it gets stolen and used to kill um, another person, a police officer. I've seen that before. Um, Is it stolen out of a home in a burglary? Is it sold because the owner no longer wants it to a pawn shop and that pawn shop sells it to somebody who shouldn't have it? That's the type of thing that we're worried about. And the more guns that are out there, obviously, the more opportunity there is for bad things to be done with them.
0: Yeah, in the case of Esteban Santiago, the FBI took his gun away in Alaska and then gave it back to him. (laughs) Yeah, How can the answer be more guns? I just, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is super exciting. We'll have you back on because you're just so full of knowledge. I really appreciate the time you've spent with us and you've kind of solidified what I thought was going on, but I wasn't sure, so I wanted to consult you. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Karen. All right. Thank you, my dear. And by the way, I'll send you the link to the podcast when it's done. I can't wait. Thank you so much. Thank you, honey, so much. I appreciate it. Bye. She is just so adorable. I'm so thankful and I just wanted, for you gun enthusiasts out there, you know, shaking your heads at me, I understand the United States is special, and it has the Second Amendment that gives Americans the right to arm themselves. They don't have that in Australia. They don't have that in Europe, but we do. So, I get that. And also, I understand you're probably thinking, oh, mass killings can be done with a knife too, and other weapons, so I'll give you that too. So, just shoot me. Please don't. So some episodes I want you to check out for my Full Rigger podcast, if you like, this one would be episode 105, Death Without Parole, and then episode 92, Life Without Parole. It really follows young killers in their early teens who ended up in adult prisons and their crimes. But anyway, some of the serial killers that I've covered on Full Rigor that you can check out, I covered Danny Rowling. Of course, in August of 1990, Danny Rowling murdered five college students in Gainesville, home of the Florida Gators. Go Gators. He created unbelievably gruesome crime scenes that were designed to shock the people who had the misfortune of happening upon them. He stabbed his young victims to death mutilated their bodies, and posed their corpses in disturbing positions. Then, of course, I covered Ted Bundy and all of his many girlfriends. And the reason why he killed, because he couldn't have one girlfriend. So by the time he arrived in Florida in 1978, he had already left a bunch of people dead around the country. And on January 15th, 1978, the fugitive serial murderer broke into a Florida State University sorority house and attacked for young women. And Gerard Schaefer, this is a killer cop who hung people from a tree. He was dubbed the killer cop because he was a sheriff's deputy who found his victims while on patrol in Martin County. He would hang them from his hanging tree and mutilate their bodies. Of course, there's Eileen Wernos. Back in 1990, she killed at least six men in Florida. She said she did it because they either raped her or tried to rape her when they hired her for sex. Bobby Joe Long in 1984. He uh, kidnapped, raped, and murdered at least 10 women from the Tampa area using complicated collars made from knotted rope to inflict intense pain on his victims. Seems highly sadistic. And prior to the murders in 1984, he had raped at least 50 victims all over Florida. A lot of these victims end up being street girls or prostitutes because no one ever misses them. I also covered Oscar Ray Bolin's murders. During 1986, he had worked as a carnival worker, a carnival barker, woof, and a truck driver. He murdered three women in and around Tampa. He had stabbed all three to death, but he wasn't a suspect in the killings until 1990 when his ex-wife called in an anonymous tip that implicated her former husband in the brutal killings. And one that's not solved, the flat tire murderer. The murder of these women and girls has never been identified or apprehended. The tire would be flattened on these girls' cars when they came out of a shopping mall or someplace. So, of course, they would need help. And they looked around and whoever this person was was waiting and stopped and took them and killed them. And what happened was the bodies were dumped beside South Florida canals. That was the MO. That was the signature of this serial killer. In fact, in the flat tire murder episode, I interviewed a sister of one of this serial killer's victims. And she described what her sister was doing up until the point when she was murdered. It's really a firsthand account of what happened. And this is still unsolved. It's very creepy. So here's a little story that happened this week with all these mass shootings and drive-by shootings going on. This was a really horrible situation. A mother of a 12-year-old boy is now the third person to die from the latest mass shooting in Miami from over the weekend. The 32-year-old had been in a coma with a bullet lodged in her head. She was one of 23 people gunned down outside a Miami banquet hall that was hosting an album release party. Now, two men died on the scene and 13 others remain hospitalized, three in critical condition. Police are searching for three gunmen. There's video of them. You can see them getting out of a white SUV with masks on. And they eventually found the white SUV that was submerged in a canal. And of course, it was stolen. Police are offering a $130,000 reward for the gunman's arrest. Also, there's new body cam video that was released today showing a shootout between deputies and two Florida teens. Put the guns now! Fire. Central shot fired. Apparently two runaways from a Florida group home are in custody, one suffering life-threatening gunshot wounds after a standoff with law enforcement. This happened in Volusia County. A deputy responded to a group home after a 14-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy ran away. This is a real Bonnie and Clyde couple in the making. And witnesses said the two broke into a home and they found a cache of weapons and ammunition inside. A 14-year-old made a statement, I'm going to roll this down like GTA, referring to the video game Grand Theft Auto. The sheriff, Mike Chitwood, says that the teen was shot and wounded and then he quickly surrendered. No law enforcement officers, thank God, were hurt. And get this, the 14-year-old girl had been arrested for setting six lots on fire. Initially, the sheriff said she'd burned down some homes, but she's a little arsonist.
1: Last night, I misspoke when I said that the 14-year-old girl had been arrested for burning a home to the ground in Palm Coast. That was not true. What she was arrested for was setting six lots on fire. She was arrested, and much to Sheriff Staley's dismay, she was released right back into her family. That was on April 10th
0: and that girl is hospitalized in critical but stable condition. Both gunmen face attempted first-degree murder of a law enforcement officer and armed burglary charges. Seemed like the girl was really trigger-happy with her reference to Grand Theft Auto. That's just amazing. So on that note, if you're in the fertile time of your life, you might want to rethink having a kid because some of them can turn out to be bad eggs. Sorry. That wraps up Full Rigor. Check me out on Instagram at Full Podcast. Until next time, thanks for joining me.